for Ukrainians and Ukrainian Americans today, August 24th, 2022. It's a day loaded with significance. On the one hand, it's Independence Day of Ukraine. On this day back in 1991, the country broke away from the Soviet Union and regained its sovereignty for the first time since the 1920s. But as you've been hearing on WBEZ, today is also a milestone marking a dark chapter of Ukraine's recent history. It's now been six months since the start of the Russian invasion, an invasion that is still very much underway in places like Kharkiv, Zaporizhia, and Donbass. In the first hour of our show today, we are lifting up the voices of Ukrainian Americans and others with ties to the country, listening to their stories of fleeing Ukraine for safety, of building community, and of finding ways to resist, to mourn, and to help one another. Songs I hear rallies in Chicago have kept me going. Being present and hearing Ukrainians sing about their grief, our grief, has helped me face my own. I tell people about what happened to my family, and I do it because I bear witness. People my age, and especially children who have come here from Ukraine, we haven't forgotten, and we won't forget, and we are begging you not to forget about us. Those are voices from a WBEZ open mic in Ukrainian village this month, where people with connections to Ukraine shared their stories. We're going to hear more from some of them later in the program. WBEZ reporter Anna Savchenka moderated the open mic, and she's with us now. Welcome to Reset, Anna. Hi, Sasha. What's going through your mind today on a Ukrainian Independence Day, but also it's six months since the Russian invasion? Um, you know, I feel conflicted. I want to celebrate, but I also want to mourn. Yeah, that's understandable. Uh, you you kicked off the open mic uh, by reading an essay that you wrote about your experience here in Chicago when the war started and how you've been using your reporting skills to cope with the grief while you waited to hear if your father would be able to leave Ukraine safely. Mm-hmm. What ultimately happened with your dad? My dad left Ukraine. Um, He eventually returned um, about two months later for work. Um, But a day after I learned that he made it out alive, um, I found out that one of my childhood friends hadn't and that they were defending the capital um, and that they were my age. Oh, I'm so sorry. It just, it's surreal because I I wanted both, both of them to make it out alive. Wow, I'm so sorry to hear that. Thank you. In the uh, in the essay that you wrote, Anna, you mentioned your grandparents. You want to talk about mm-hmm. them? Yeah, their names were Anatoly and Emilia, and um, they were younger than I am now. Uh, they were teenagers when they were arrested and sent to Siberian gulags. My granddad was arrested for writing poetry. And my grandmother was arrested for smuggling intel from the Soviets to the Ukrainian insurgent army with the hope that this intel could free Ukraine. Um, and they were sentenced to 25 years in in gulags. And yeah, they were very much dissidents. And they didn't know one another when they were sent to these gulags. And they were in separate ones. But I guess there was some illegal inter-gulag correspondence going on because Mm -hmm. their letters were matched and they became pen pals and they wrote to one another over the the 10 years that they had been imprisoned and once stalin died and they were released uh prematurely 
um, they met up, they got married, and they moved to a rural Ukrainian village and had my dad. Um, and that was their wow. form of resistance, you know, in the face of all of the oppression. Yeah. You, um, you also talked about the fear that your grandparents experienced and how mm. they ended up passing that down to your parents and then to you and how you're now trying to break this cycle of, of generational trauma. Let's listen to that. We've been conditioned not to talk about this, to keep it to ourselves the way our grandparents kept it to themselves, the way our parents didn't talk about it to whatever countries they emigrated to. And when this war started, I thought, man, I just don't want my generation to grow up with the same generational trauma that previous generations did. And the way we do that is by talking. So I want to encourage you guys to continue sharing your stories. How did that feel, Anna, sharing your story and, and also hearing so many others sharing their stories at that open mic? Yeah, it it felt cathartic and not just for myself, but I think for the people in attendance, too. Um, um, us reporters were always telling stories about people and just hoping that we are able to tell their truths as accurately as possible. But this was really a moment to give the mic back to the community, and they really poured their hearts out. That's WBEZ's Anna Savchenka. We'll hear more from her later this hour. Now I want to hear another story from that open mic, this one from Olaha Svintarna. She left Ukraine with her son and came to Chicago at the start of the war. First, I felt uh, like I'm abandoned in my country, like I'm useless. And uh, I could have stayed, maybe go to war, but I'm not a soldier, but at least I could try and do something. But now, looking back, I think uh, that probably I would be sitting somewhere in the basement, probably a building could collapse on me or on my son, and some people would have to spend their time and strength to help us out, or at least to find our bodies or whatever, instead of fighting. And here, I'm more useful. I take part in all the protests I can imagine to find and go there. Uh, my son and I, uh, we took part in many charity events to raise money for Ukraine and help. We, of course, donate our own money. And my son's teacher is fighting right now. So we bought him this thermovision device to protect their lives. So uh, I've, here we feel stronger, we feel useful, and we help our country. That's Olaha Svintarna. She arrived in Chicago on March 1st after a seven-day journey. And I had the chance to sit down with her in our studio this week to hear more about her experience. And I started by asking this. You mentioned going to protests here in Chicago. What was it like to see people showing up? I felt a lot of support. It took us seven days to, uh, to get to Chicago from Ukraine, which usually was less than a day. Mm. But... Uh, when I got here, I saw the people uh, standing for us, standing for Ukraine, uh, demanding uh, help for my country, and uh, I felt I could be part of this, and uh, I felt stronger. 
Do you remember those first days when when you realized that Vladimir Putin was serious about his threats to invade and and the war was actually happening? Uh, he has always been serious since uh, 2014. He's always been serious and his troops uh, uh, had been there already. So for you, what made it different this time? Uh, the only difference is that my city was bombed and I actually heard the explosions. When you just see it on TV, it's devastating. Uh, it hurts you, but it's not your son next to you mm -hmm. while you hear the bombing. It makes a difference. And uh, I cannot imagine what people that, that are left there, that are still there, uh, feel now. Your husband is still there. Yes. What has that been like, being so far away from him? It's hard. It's hard. Uh, uh, I am worried, of course. Um, it's not only my husband. Uh, a lot of my family is there, um, and uh, my friends. And uh, I'm not only worried uh, about them. I'm worried about all the Ukrainians, because... Uh, uh, when I'm watching children dying, it's uh, it's terrible. Yeah, it's hard to wrap your mind around that. Yeah, and uh, you never know what's going to happen next moment. Like uh, in uh, Western cities, people didn't expect to be bombed, but they were. And there were victims, so you never know what's going to happen next second. You have family next second, you may not have family. So, of course, I'm worried. Everybody is. This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. And if you're just tuning in, we are doing special coverage today to mark the sixth month anniversary of the Russian invasion into Ukraine. Uh, we are highlighting people who participated in a WBEZ open mic in Ukrainian village recently. And with us is Olaha Svintarna. Uh, Olaha, I want to dig more into the theme of um, cultural assimilation. Uh, you brought it up during the open mic. Mm -hmm. Let's First of all, let's listen. I was born in the Soviet Union. I am one of the generation that was taught to forget our history. Uh, I was taught to love Lenin, to praise him, Stalin, uh, and uh, love Soviet Union. We were taught to be proud of Soviet Union, uh, like it's the best country in the world, and we couldn't compare to anything because we couldn't get out of there, and like we had no chance but to believe it. So I think a lot of listeners, um, they might not be aware that the um, the Soviets forced Russian language and, and culture yes, on people from, from countries that were brought uh, into USSR. Help us understand, what was that like? Uh, for me, as a child, uh, it felt normal. I was uh, born in Khmelnytsky, and I finished school in Khmelnytsky. Uh, it's a city uh, in the west of Ukraine, uh, the center of uh, uh, Khmelnytsky region. Mm -hmm. And there were um, only three schools where children were able to study in Ukrainian and the rest of schools were in Russian. So I had no chance to uh, learn my language. My language, my native language, Ukrainian, was taught like a foreign language. Oh, wow. So everything was in Russian, but okay, so you are Ukrainian, so learn your language too uh, in case you need it someday. Uh, 
uh, and uh, we were taught to uh, like to love Russian Russian culture, to read Russian uh, poets, uh, writers, uh, and uh, we knew very few about uh, Ukrainian uh, Ukrainian ones. Yeah. Uh, so uh, when I was growing up, I felt weird about it. Like when I was talking in the street, when I was uh, speaking Ukrainian in the street, people used to ask me, why do you speak Ukrainian? Are you studying in a Ukrainian school? Like uh, this could be the only reason why a Ukrainian girl Never mind in the Ukraine fact that it's your native language. is speaking Ukrainian. Like Why? Wow. And uh, people were ashamed uh, to speak Ukrainian. Uh, and this shame uh, was uh, developed in uh, mm, movies, in books, uh, in uh, different TV programs, TV shows. Uh, they took like two characters, one Russian-speaking, another one Ukrainian. Uh, and uh, the one who spoke Russian looked normal, like a businessman or something. And the one who spoke Ukrainian seemed to be uh, very funny and uneducated, uh, the one to laugh about. So um, we were taught that Ukrainian culture is, you know, something you should be ashamed of. So this was in real life. This was even on the screen. And it was still going on until now. So it's unfair. So a lot of people like me, they felt it was unfair. And we need to do something about it. We need to be proud of our heritage. Well, you know, at the open mic, you talked a lot about the Ukrainian diaspora, right? Celebrating your heritage. Let's, Let's hear a bit more. When Ukraine gained its independence, we started learning the real history I'm very grateful to diaspora, to Ukrainian diaspora here in Chicago and all over the world, because these are the people who uh, saved our history documents, who helped our poets, writers, uh, composers, singers to survive, basically, or at least they helped their works to be published. It's so great that you have this community in Chicago. Yes, exactly. This is how Ukraine survived. Yeah. You uh, sang some songs at the open mic as well, and, mm-hmm. and your son was with you. Um, he was playing the viola. Yes. What song did you two perform? It was Oi Hodit Son. Uh, it's a Ukrainian lullaby, and it was brought to the United States um, by Koshitsa uh, Choir. Uh, and it was played here, and uh, George Hershvin happened to be at one of these concerts and uh, heard this lullaby. And his uh, father, I believe, was from Ukraine, Odessa. Uh, so he had roots, Ukrainian roots. Uh, so he heard this lullaby, and uh, this lullaby inspired him to write his summertime. Oh, I love it. Mm-hmm. All right, let's go out listening to a little bit of your singing. Tudo 
That was Olaha Svintarna, who participated in the WBEZ open mic. Thank you, Olaha. Thank you. This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Today marks six months since Russia invaded Ukraine. Since then, we've seen Ukrainian forces mount an impressive defense against the much larger Russian army. But the fighting and bombings continue, and the UN now estimates that nearly 5,600 Ukrainian civilians have been killed since February. Some Ukrainian cities have been blockaded, depriving citizens of food and medical supplies. And now Russia plans to hold referendums to annex occupied territories in the east. The ongoing invasion has cast a pall over what should be a time for celebration for Ukrainians and Ukrainian-Americans. Today, August 24th, is Ukrainian Independence Day. Today on the show, we are bringing you the voices of people who participated in a WBEZ open mic in Ukrainian Village earlier this month and shared their experiences with the war. People like Danya. Young Ukrainians are angry. We're furious and we're hurting. Danya Hanavich is a rising senior at Loyola University. She's also on the steering committee of the Ukrainian Club. She helped form after the start of the war. Welcome to the show, Danya. Hi, thanks for having me. Do you remember where you were when you found out that Putin had ordered the Russian army to invade? Yeah, I do. Um, my parents and I had just come from, or were coming home from a basketball game at Loyola, which is where I go to school. And we were on Lakeshore Drive, and all of a sudden, my phone was getting nothing but texts and pings and notifications, and it came on the radio, and my parents and I, it felt like time stopped mm. for a second. What was it the really conversation did. like between you and your parents? Did you believe Honestly, it, what you were hearing? I, I really couldn't. I. It was something that, in retrospect, I guess... It feel, all Ukrainians kind of feel like we should have seen it coming, but at the same time, it just felt so unbelievable. It was so my parents and I kind of we drove home in silence. There was just nothing to say that could in, encapsulate what we were feeling. And of course, the next couple of days were filled with anger and sadness, and we just had CNN on on loop, like it was on all the time. And it was it was a lot. It was a lot. Well, you had a very clear message at the open mic. Let's listen to that. I've seen a lot of horrible photos coming out of Bucha, out of the suburbs of Kyiv, out of Mariupol, and of Krim right now, of Crimea. Um, and I'm upset that it seems that the international community community has seemingly forgotten about us. And I know that that's not true in this room because there are a lot of you here and you've all shown up. So, you know, a round of applause for you guys. Um, don't be afraid to pat yourselves on the back. That's okay. Um, I just wanted to come up here and say to everyone who's here and everyone who's at the bar, who's either listening or not listening, that's okay, no judgment. Um, but don't forget about us. Don't forget about the mothers that had to write their family information on the backs of their toddlers in case they died or were bombed. Don't forget about the kids who 
there was one 14-year-old boy in the suburbs of Kyiv who was in line to get food for his family, and he had his back blown inwards. Don't forget about them. And I know that's really dark, and that's probably not what you were expecting me to come up here and say. And if I could, I'd tell you all about my family, my Ukrainian family with their My Big Fat Greek Wedding vibes and the fact that we've roasted pigs on spits in our yards and we've made like 107 varenike for three people, which are pierogies for those of you who aren't Ukrainian. Like I could come up here and I could tell you all those stories, but I take away time from people who have also signed up to speak. So what I just came up here to say was just know that people my age and especially children who have come here from Ukraine, we haven't forgotten and we won't forget and we are begging you not to forget about us. Danya, what's it like hearing yourself make that plea again? It's difficult to hear myself say it again because I know that on the news there's not a lot of coverage about Ukraine anymore. And when I gave that speech, I had been going through like this cycle of emotions that entire week. And I had been watching CNN clips and I had been texting my friends in Ukraine, my cousins, my family, and, you know, and I was listening to them speak, and they were telling me how they they can't do anything. They feel helpless, and there's nothing they can do but go to work and support their families and try to live as best as they can in a god-awful situation. And I was so angry, and I didn't know how to express it to my non-Ukrainian friends without sounding insane. And that open mic night was, something just told me to go up there and make that plea, especially to non-Ukrainians. I feel that it's important that people know that they don't, we don't want to be forgotten about. I mean, we, there's, there's so much still going on. I mean, a nuclear power plant got hit, I believe, a couple days ago, yeah. and not a lot of people know about that. And so that's why I made that plea. And hearing that, hearing my own voice sounds, I just can't describe it. It's indescribable. Yeah. I am so glad that you're also bringing attention to what is still happening in Ukraine. You know, I'm, I'm curious what you think about, because there, there are folks who might even be listening to us right now, Danya, and they're thinking, the U.S. government has spent billions of dollars on supplying Ukraine with weapons, etc. What more do you want us to do? What would you say to that? I'm not. I'm not asking anyone to give me their credit card information to send to Ukrainians. I'm not asking for that. Um, but I do want people to recognize that this war affects so many people. There are more refugees coming to America. My father and my mother and I work with some of them. I've I've helped some children at St. Nicholas Cathedral School, which is uh, has been taking in a lot of children and educating them and trying to help them process the trauma that they've dealt with. And I would just ask that for the ordinary person, I know that it's difficult because some people think, well, what more can, what more can we do? We don't have that kind of, we don't have the power to, to single-handedly end this war. And I understand that. And I'm not asking for anyone to do that. No one in the Ukrainian community is going to ask anybody to single-handedly end this war. But what we do feel is important is that you help at the ground level, help locally. Mm -hmm. You know, there was 
a tremendous outpouring of donations those first couple months. I helped sort um, clothes and toys and um, diapers for mothers who had given birth and who needed baby formula, who needed clothes, who needed... There was just a tremendous outpouring of donations, and it was wonderful to see. But as the coverage has gone down, it's kind of dwindled. And so what I would ask... Um, people who are listening to me now to do is just stay vigilant and remembering about Ukraine. This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. And if you're just tuning in, we're doing special coverage today to mark the sixth month anniversary of Russia invading Ukraine. WBEZ had an open mic in Ukrainian Village earlier this month, and we're hearing now more from people who shared their stories. Danya Hrnovich was one of those people, and she's with us now. Talk to us more about how you and other students are taking action. So I attend Loyola University Chicago. I am um, on the committee, heading committee of um, Ukrainian Club, which we founded immediately after the war began. And um, we had a couple meetings and we discussed, we had processing spaces at school and we had meetings where we discussed how the war affected us. And I have a friend, Masha, her her family, her grandparents lived in the suburbs of Kyiv, and um, they just recently escaped. But uh, we did talk about our families and friends who live there, and um, we we we've cried a lot. We did we did cry a lot when the beginning of the war, and but now we're trying to focus on keeping the war in people's minds, as I've said, yeah. and. Um, we have been tabling at Loyola. We have been, we've hosted bake sales. We are planning on hosting events um, this semester. Um, mostly it's it's us processing our emotions and then trying to think, okay, how can we get to work? Mm-hmm. So as you mentioned, you're very active then in, in the Ukrainian community uh, with uh, Loyola University. And you're also a third generation Ukrainian American yourself, Danya. What is it that you love about Ukrainian culture? There's a lot. Um, <laughs> we could be here all day, honestly, because <laughs> I would not stop talking. Um, so I, I'm also a member of PLOST, Ukrainian Scouting, mm-hmm. and that is a worldwide organization that began in Ukraine, obviously, but as the diaspora spread out after World War II, um, so did PLOST. And I've been a part of that since I was about seven or eight, and I, I love the sense of community we all have. PLAST helps me get that sense of community, but also within my church, within, I was part of a dance ensemble, part of Hromovitsa dance ensemble, and there was a sense of community in that too, and I I love how all of us band together, even before the uh, the invasion of Ukraine, and um, I, think, I think non-Ukrainians can really see that sense of community um, even more, even more after yeah. the invasion. So I, I love the sense of community we have. I mean, I, I live in Ukrainian village. I know everybody. It's one of those cultures where everybody knows everybody, and subsequently that means everyone's in everyone's business. But <laughs> that's what makes that's what makes it fun, and I love it. Well, today is Ukrainian Independence Day, as we mentioned. How have you celebrated this traditionally? Traditionally, there have been a lot of festivals. It's honestly my favorite time of year. I, I love. I sound like I'm talking about Christmas, but honestly, like <laughs> this is like 
festival season, Ukrainian festival season, is my favorite. I used to dance at these festivals, and oh, cool. it's just so it's so much fun. And I think this year, with the war, it's going to be a lot more meaningful. Um, I know on Saturday, August twentieth, they had an event at Navy Pier. Um, celebrating Ukrainian independence and banding to again the common theme of banding together to remind ourselves that we we will live through this um but it's traditionally my I my family and I have always gone to those fests it's mostly about us getting together with our friends and family and having a good time and celebrating Ukraine's independence and I think this year you know living through the pandemic the past two years plus this um, invasion. I, I definitely think that this year we're going to try to focus on having a good time and celebrating our Ukrainian heritage while remembering and honoring those who have died on the front lines. That was Danya Hranovich. She's the vice president of the Ukrainian club at Loyola University, and she spoke at the open mic. Thank you, Danya. All this hour, we've been speaking with people who took part in a WBEZ open mic earlier this month in Ukrainian Village. At the event, the theme of helping and sometimes not knowing how to help came up over and over. One Chicagoan shared a story about changing his life in a major way so that he could volunteer and offer support to Ukrainians. Harrison Josefowitz is co-founder of Task Force Yankee. I caught up with him this week and first asked him to explain how he'd learned about the open mic and why he wanted to participate. One of the many volunteers that come from all across the United States, he actually said, hey, you know, you're from Chicago. Why don't you take a look at this open mic night? And so I went uh, and it was just a fantastic turnout. So you went to volunteer and you just mentioned five months. Yeah. How did that come about? Uh, Well, um, I lost a good friend of mine in the Afghanistan withdrawal crisis. And, I'm sorry to hear that. Oh, it's it's okay. I, uh, thankfully, you know, I, I did take it pretty hard at the time. Yeah. And the way that it made me feel, I quickly realized that I, whatever it was in the world, I would need to do something effectively to try and make sure that other people didn't feel that way. So six months later, Ukraine, you know, the war in Ukraine breaks out, and I immediately had the calling to go and do whatever I could possibly do to help in any way that I could. Yeah. Well, let's hear a bit of uh, you telling this story. Uh, This is how you started off your set at the open mic. Thank you for the warm welcome. Show of hands real quick. Who here is uh, Ukrainian? All right. Love to see the... Who here is not Ukrainian? Nice. Love to see you guys. Thank you so much for the support. Of course. I just got back from a five-month stint volunteering in Ukraine. Yeah, it's every single Ukrainian that we meet there, they're extremely grateful for seeing a foreigner there who speaks English. A lot of the times actually, you know, warms their heart and brings tears to their eyes and then brings tears to our eyes. So Harrison, what does it mean for you to not be Ukrainian, mm-hmm. but doing this work? It goes to show that there are still people that care just because it's not your country or uh, you don't speak their language. It it can still, you can immensely change how somebody lives their lives, you know, lessen their trauma that they have to go through in, in an 
extremely difficult situation like this. Yeah. Your wife, uh, Karina, was also at the event. I want to play a little clip of her talking about your work and that decision to go overseas. Hi, everybody. Can you guys hear me? Okay. Um, my name is Karina. Uh, I'm a CPS high school teacher. So you think... <laughs> Um, so you'd think I'd be in my element being up here talking to you guys, but I'm actually very nervous. Um, so anyway, um, I'm here to talk a little bit about my husband. So back in March, not only did he quit his job, but he also quit school. He was in his first year of his undergrad. Um, he sold his car and he just up and left everything that he knew and that he was familiar and comfortable with to go help in the middle of a war zone. I'm shaking, my hands are shaking. Um, he's, uh, thank you. <laughs> um, he started his organization, Task Force Yankee, from literally nothing. He's the president and the co-founder. Um, he really didn't know what he was getting himself into. I was sitting next to him while he was on the couch, um, you know, just trying to look up how to start up a nonprofit, you know, what, what ways that he could help. And they've fundraised a lot of money. You know, they've helped a lot in training and providing medical supplies to the people there in Ukraine. And me being back home, um, you guys really haven't heard the wife perspective, but you know, me and his family were just constantly worried about him, that we wouldn't hear from him. But um, he was in good hands with the people that he worked with. And that's always been Harrison, you know, as a military veteran and ex-police officer. He has seen a lot of loss, um, so this is not new to him. And his heart has always been in the right place, you know, with this kind of stuff. So good to hear her voice and hear her sort of tell it from, as she said, the wife's perspective. Tell yeah. us more, Harrison, about how your, your family and, and coworkers responded. Well, uh, I did serve in Afghanistan back in 2017, and, you know, I, that was my, my job, my service. When I left the military, they didn't fully understand why I would want to go voluntarily back into a war zone. Uh, and again, you know, I, I know that I've been through a lot of trauma and, and I've been exposed to that kind of stuff. So I saw it as, you know, let me try and make it easier for somebody else. Mm -hmm. um, at first, again, they, they were really anxious and, and scared. But then I told them, hey, look, you know. Did you have to do some convincing? Absolutely. Yeah, it. I had to, you know, make sure, okay, hey, I am safe. I'm giving them these these check-ins and whatnot. And, uh, of course, you know, regularly posting on social media and things like that. So uh, quickly they, they kind of realized, like, okay, you know, maybe he is taking care of himself and being smart about how He's serious how about this. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Karina mentioned uh, you provided training in medical supplies. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, so, you know, we did want to help with the refugee crisis, and we did in the beginning. Uh, and as so many more people started to get involved in helping, we just started to identify so many more needs that Ukraine needed. So we went from helping refugees to we fed about 100 families and housed about 500 displacements. Uh, and then from that, you know, people, those same families started saying, hey, we have family members who are on the front lines. Can you guys send them some medical supplies? Mm -hmm. So we started finding medical supplies to send. And then we did that, and then they said, hey, the supplies is great. Can we start getting some medical training? And we said, yeah, absolutely. So then we started finding the veterans or the nurses back home, and honestly, all the way from Australia, Canada, the U.K., we started 
uh, to form teams and whatnot. And then everybody in Ukraine started to receive our training. So currently we're at about uh, 4,200 people currently trained in, in Ukraine. Wow. Yeah. That's a lot of people. Yeah. You talked about tears in people's eyes. Yeah. What kinds of things did they say? The struggles that the refugees and the displacements come that come from the Russian occupied territories. It's something that being on the military side of a war it doesn't prepare you for having to be that person that they interact with on the humanitarian side. Yeah. And just whether it was through Google Translate or a translator, just hearing the stories of people being shot, their farms and homes being burned, husbands and sons being tortured, uh, and, you know, the less pub publicized uh, filtration camps that the Russians have everybody go through when they take over a town or a village. It's just, mm. it's truly horrifying. Well, what do you want people here in the U.S. to know? I just want people to know that the war is still ongoing every single day, that people still need help every single day. Uh, and Task Force Yankee is just one of the many ways that you can help. That's Harrison Josephowitz. Thank you so much for your time, Harrison. Thank you for having me. Good work. Thanks. This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. And joining me again, as she did at the top of the show, is WBEZ reporter Anna Savchenka, host of WBEZ's Open Mic this month in Ukrainian Village. Hey, Anna. Hey. You know, going to Ukraine like Harrison did, that's that's not for everyone, right? But we know that resistance can take many forms. So in your reporting, I wonder what are some examples of, of folks volunteering or showing up and supporting each other that have really stuck with you over these months? Yeah, um, similarly to the story we just heard, there was uh, a man named Esteban Bourgois who was really intent on uh, fundraising within the Latino community of Chicago and organizing a humanitarian mission to Ukraine uh, to feed refugees. Um, that is just one example of many, many um, just just people that have gone out of their way to drop everything in their lives and and help and whether it's protests or individuals like Esteban um it's it's inspiring to see yeah. examples like this come up again and again I bet uh, and I want to return to a story you mentioned earlier of uh, your grandparents right and how they resisted with words your grandfather was sent to a, a Siberian gulag for writing a poem and at the open mic, you had someone special read it. Who was that? Yeah, that was Galina Parasyuk from the Ukrainian National Museum. Um, funnily enough, I interviewed her before the war started earlier in January. And we bonded after our interview because she had had the similar experience of her family facing oppression on, on her side. So I I knew she'd understand at least standing there and reading my grandfather's words out loud. Yeah. Well, you may have heard a snippet of it earlier in the program. It's a, a poem in Ukrainian, uh, but I want to play a little bit more uh, of the poem now. Let's listen. Україно, Україно, де ти озовися? Чому голосу не чути? Не розкажеш лиха? 
і я чую голосочок. Та тихий, тихенький, мов відірваний від груді, сирідка маленький. Що ж це сталося з тобою? Розкажи хутенько. Хто із нівечив тебе так, моя рідна ненька? So, Anna, tell us what the poem's about. Yeah, um, the poem, in the poem, Ukraine is personified as, as nature, and the speaker in the poem is looking at sort of this destroyed landscape and asking, Ukraine, where are you? That's the first two lines that are repeated. And at first, Ukraine doesn't have a voice, uh, but then she slowly begins to describe how she has been plundered against her will, and it's the exact sort of thing that you would you could get sent to jail for at the time. Mm. What did it mean to you to have her read these words publicly? Um, it was a great honor, but also just just incredible. I remember I was shaking as I heard her read it. Um, I don't think this poem has ever been read out loud in an open society where it's allowed to do that, where you where there's no chance that you'll be killed for reading this or being sent to jail. And I just, my grandparents have passed away, but I imagine if they were there listening that night, then they would just be in tears. Mm. You said you were shaking. I imagine you never thought that something like this would happen. Never. Yeah. You had a a message that night for the audience of, of how people can resist. Why don't you talk to our listeners about that? Yeah, towards the end of the open mic night, I told people to keep sharing their stories and to keep uh, keep up the little acts of resistance because it's the little things that that count and that make a difference and keep us alive. And it's the things that kept my grandparents alive for as long as they lived. And it's the things that are keeping me going right now in my work and just personally as a human that's experiencing this war in the same way our listeners are. So yeah, I encourage people to keep telling stories. Are there Twitter accounts that you maybe recommend that folks follow or maybe books that we can read? Um, there are a lot, there have been a lot of social media accounts that have popped up since the war started um, there's so many, it would, it would, I need to do some research to pull them up, but there's just so much information that's being shared right now on, on Facebook groups, Chicago, Ukrainian Facebook groups, mm-hmm. where people exchange a lot of information. I encourage folks to join those because there's a lot of info about ongoing events, protests, fundraisers, rallies, and really places where people can continue finding this community. Has it gotten easier to avoid disinformation online when it comes to the Ukraine war? Uh, yes and no. Um, I would say I don't trust everything that I see circulating on social media, mm-hmm. but going to specific news sources where I get my my news from, that, that helps. But um, at the end of the day, people still need to do the research by themselves and to make sure that they're being mindful in how they're sharing this information. Because sometimes... Just sharing a photo of a a, a person who's been um, their body has been devastated mm-hmm. by war. Um, that might not always be the best decision to make, depending on the source of that information, where it comes from, yeah. and so many other factors. 
Well, the end of the open mic, it took a surprising and emotional turn. Tell us about that. Yeah, as I was standing and saying thank you to everyone, Pani Maria Klimchak from the Ukrainian National Museum again, uh, she came up to the mic stand and she just took the mic out of my hands and she asked everyone to stand up and sing the national anthem. And she asked people at the bar to even stand up that weren't weren't necessarily there for the event. And people just stood up and started singing. And it was definitely another one of those outer body moments for me because I am a Russian-speaking Ukrainian Mm -hmm. and I've never my parents never explicitly taught me the anthem word by word but just standing there with my eyes closed I I sung it from start to finish and it was just magical oh so powerful well with that Why don't we go out listening to the anthem? This is the anthem sung by Olaha Svintarna, who you heard singing earlier in the program. We've been speaking with WBEZ's Anna Savchenka. She moderated the WBEZ open mic in Ukrainian Village earlier this month. Thank you so much, Anna. Thank you, Sasha. Thanks for listening. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We've got more for you on the podcast, WBEZ's Reset, wherever you listen.